0: Hello and welcome back to the Careless Talk Climbing Podcast. Uh, this week we have another discussion episode where I chat to Aiden about some of the things that uh, I forgot to chat to him about in the first couple of episodes. Um, I also put a question out to my Instagram followers about if there was anything that I uh, missed that people wanted to hear and I got some good stuff back on that, so I asked some of those questions. Um we mostly talk about uh, diet for the first uh, sort of half hour or so um, because Aiden has quite an interesting diet, which is uh, sort of nearly vegan, um, not quite, uh, but is sort of surprisingly low protein for someone who is so obviously muscular. Um, so he talks a little bit about that for the first half. Uh, then we go into the uh, uh, infamous uh, issue of Johnny Gaskins uh, for about half an hour after that. But um, maybe our uh, international listeners uh, give you a little bit of more background on Johnny Gaskins. He was a guy who did a lot of really, really hard climbing uh, in the Lake District in England. Um, and he gave his problems relatively low grades. Um, they've not seen any repeats, and many people have questioned uh, whether they are just totally implausible, and so therefore whether he actually did them. Um, so that's led to a huge amount of controversy. They've obviously in climbing, there've been a few people who've been kind of outed as uh, you know having embellished their ascents, but. Johnny Gaskins is someone who kind of splits people down the middle and um, some people really quite passionately uh, believe in him uh, and uh, would almost say they witnessed it uh, and others uh, really really passionately disbelieve it and um, so we talk a little bit about that because uh, johnny gaskins just happened he put up quite a lot of his problems around about where aiden lives so he uh, i was just curious to get aiden's perspective and and so is quite a lot of the people who sent in messages um might be slightly boring for our internationals because if you've never heard of johnny gaskins then yeah it doesn't have that much uh that much uh interest does it but After that, uh, we talk about some other stuff, uh, a few sort of quickfire questions and things that people sent in. Um, We talk a little bit about sort of the weight problem in climbing, and then we don't really have uh, that much knowledge to draw upon when we're talking about that, and then we have even less knowledge to draw upon when we start uh, pondering if there is any uh, active doping in climbing. Um, So yeah anybody who knows anything about that do get in touch because it as it turned out aiden and i tried to talk about it but we knew the square root of absolutely fuck all about it so um yeah limited value on that bit but it is quite funny all right cheers thanks for listening guys yeah a bit of birds a little bit of aiden's quiet uh dulcet tones and some bird song is some ASMR. People go to sleep to this podcast, mate. just <laughs> oh, <we're better laughs> while driving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully
1: not due to uninteresting discussions.
0: <laughs> no, true. Well, okay, so I asked my Instagram followers um if they had any questions for you and so i've basically crowdsourced some extra questions as well as some extra ones that i've thought of uh. um, so the big one that most people asked about uh and i'll read out i will read out one from from omar uh, who his question was uh have you got any details on your diet uh, and how do you uh, get adequate protein for such shredded buns buns <laughs> yeah buns, yeah <laughs> wow okay
1: um any details on my diet well I guess I've been quite fortunate in that I grew up uh vegetarian um so my family were vegetarian since I was born um and I think it's made it quite well I haven't had to change my diet in order to perhaps align that with um what uh, and maybe more consider these days with like perhaps ethical and environmental considerations. So that's always been quite. I've always felt quite fortunate for that. Um, so when people always heard that the question of how much protein it comes up incredibly regularly. Yeah, uh, and I actually so I have supplemented with protein in the past. Um, I actually have kind of like post-puberty. I used to be a real, like kind of a twiggy child, but post-puberty have always been able to like develop muscle mass quite easily. Um, So I actually find if I do supplement, I mean, obviously the training stimulus makes a big difference in that case, but usually the way in which I climb and my style in which I, do exercises is quite slow um and usually quite a lot of time and attention i'd find that if i was supplementing also with protein i'd have a tendency to put on a lot of muscle mass um, it would be like supplementing with a lot of protein so generally i don't do that so much these days um and just try and make sure that the foods i eat kind of like i do kind of believe that eating foods containing protein is always going to be like a little bit better for you than uh,
0: than just taking the shakes sort of thing. yeah
1: yeah living out of a packet kind of thing
0: okay um, but how, let's let's get some details mate how how are you doing it what what's the protein sources that you you reckon you eat the most oh okay um
1: so i'm i'm not the i'm kind of like quite i am more wary in my own time of like uh getting dairy products and so but i do eat eggs um so i will eat eggs on occasion but i actually don't eat that many hmm, what is my source of protein? how are you doing this <laughs> I, I do eat, i do eat legumes uh of various sorts <laughs> right? Uh, beans. Uh, beans yeah pulses um uh, but again they're not like crazily high in protein i would say definitely like my protein intake is probably quite low compared to uh, what you'd classically expect from an athlete. But uh, I like kind of, I will get it through like um, like various forms of soya, tofu, um, kind of those kind of, those kind of things. I do sometimes eat various meat substitutes mainly because I quite like them. Um, yeah, what I guess
0: <laughs> which meat substitutes do you go for
1: um like specific uh usually it'd probably generally be like soya based ones um
0: Is I don't really like, have. like corn or, no corn's like a fungus, isn't it
1: um yeah, that's like a mycoprotein i don't usually have that that much actually um no, but I kind of have had it in the past yeah no i'm like i definitely i'm not i used to be way more on it with like kind of getting a lot of protein and i do like supplement with i still supplement with glycine um which is like an amino acid uh useful in um basically development of collagen now anyone with a nutritional background is gonna i'm gonna have a lot of flawed facts here but um but yeah essentially something that you don't get that much in a vegetarian diet uh and it's like a, it's essentially like apart from taking collagen is almost like the next best thing but collagen is often from bovine so i generally avoid that um so like i do supplement with that and that's good for like that's helpful for like um various like white tissue health um uh, well collagen is the most um abundant protein in our body so it's kind of good to try and keep those topped up um so i do supplement with that um occasionally with especially on trips i will supplement with protein powder generally because usually they're a lot more days and often I don't want to carry a load of stuff around to the crack um yeah
0: ease ease of use
1: yeah 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 but yeah no I'm not like I'm not like uh I'm not actually that specific about my diet these days um
0: yeah well yeah. I mean I guess that kind of leads on to one of my other questions um but to quickly summarize that it sounds like correct me if I'm wrong you eat healthily um you eat healthily and you supplement a couple of things but mostly it's just a you don't focus on it too much it's just a kind of healthy vegetarian almost vegan diet yeah yeah i've been quite
1: fortunate and definitely that like my preferences i enjoy a lot of like uh vegetables and like kind of fresh things like salads and things i often find myself They're the things that I would choose, which is quite fortunate.
0: But you also bake cakes. I have, yes. Um, I've actually
1: done far less of it in recent years, but every now and again I still do. Um, Yeah, I definitely went through a phase a few years ago in my gap year when I was climbing and not doing all that much else. I was baking all the time, which was quite fun and uh, made me popular in moving my social circles. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, you're always doing cakes and breads, and
1: things. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, more more bake breads these days than uh, than um, cakes.
0: Okay, so uh, this kind of leads on to another kind of discussion point, as much of a question really. Um, but I feel like listening to what you know, what you eat, your diet. I don't think that would work for lots of people. Um, so I guess that that leads on to the question of how much of climbing, be it diet, training, strength, or everything, do you think is genetic?
1: Hmm. So I think there's definitely a genetic element. And you can definitely I think there's definitely a genetic element in how like fast people respond to stimulus. Yeah. Um, And I think that plays a big role in your development. I mean, we had that discussion with Billy about his fingerboarding and how he'd had like, yeah, basically his discussion on him being a really like slow responder in that sense, which I think like, There's perks and obviously everyone wants to be like a really fast responder, but there's a lot of examples of people who do respond so quickly and being incredibly susceptible to injury as a result. Um, So like each has their perks and flaws. I actually don't, a lot of people will call me out on this, but I actually don't feel like a particularly fast responder um, in that I don't see development particularly quickly um which
0: i suppose it's all relative isn't it Mm. yeah no
1: well this is more this is more like i'm not saying that genetics haven't played a role with me i definitely think they have and like i've always since i started climbing had a tendency to using small holds and climbing quite statically and like i think that's always been something which i've been relatively good at um very early on in my climbing um and i would be very surprised if genetics hadn't played a role in that but i'm fear i'm more just addressing that like i think there's definitely a genetic difference in how quickly people respond to like training stimulus um and i don't necessarily think i fit into like the fast responder category in that um I kind of like i don't think i'm a slow responder either i think i'm somewhere in the middle but i think genetics has a big role to play in that as well um no inevitably genetics does have a big difference on climbing but it's one of the things which i kind of think on an individual basis like it's not worth dwelling on just because it's something we have absolutely no control over yeah um, like, it can be supplemented with a lot of hard work as well.
0: And oh, so- absolutely. Yeah. I think the the kind of the point I was slowly getting, getting my way to making was that um, because I think genetically we're quite different when it comes to climbing, all of us, that sometimes people are, you know, everyone's really keen to hear about what you eat and, and you know, your diet. But I think that probably won't work for most other people in the same sense that, um you know what's better for them probably wouldn't work for you um because you were talking about how quickly you put on muscle and things and so it's really important that you don't actually eat so much protein because then you get too heavy whereas for for many people who don't put on uh, muscle easily they need to get as much of that supplemental uh, protein in almost as possible um, yeah so i guess i guess and really it. like if you're looking to improve your diet and nutrition You just gotta, you've got to speak to a nutritionist, haven't you? Like, cause the nutritionist will be able to find what's best for you and give you some really good, like personalized advice and tips.
1: Yeah. I think that is a really important point. Like there is no magic formula. I think also any nutritionist I've had a discussion with is like, or like I've done, a, have done, I've worked a bunch in the past with Tom Herbert, um, maybe known as a useful coach and i find him really helpful um but generally the themes of the discussion is like we'll have like target points of perhaps macros to hit and fitting it around like rather structured training and i'll do so in a manner but like it won't be specific about like eat this eat this eat this because he's very reluctant to kind of change what is like a very natural diet for, or like something I've grown up. Eating. I've never really made like bar, like perhaps one, one comp season. I've never really made like drastic changes to what I've eaten. And I think that's like nutritionists I've spoken to have kind of encouraged that in many ways as well. Um, as in like, obviously perhaps adapting slightly were i to be like uh very like under eating maybe like protein or carbs or whatever um but like never making like drastic changes just because like i've kind of grown up eating in this way and like kind of something that's very natural to me and like i think what works best for each person individually is going to be very different and there's not going to be a magic diet, which if everyone changes to, they're going to suddenly climb three great heart or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know if that kind of answers.
0: Yeah, that. I mean, generally speaking, I suppose it never hurts to to eat healthily. That's that's the first thing, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but here's, here's another question that, again, a lot of people asked. Um, I hope this isn't uh, impertinent to ask, Aiden. but uh, how much do you weigh? Oh interesting. Uh at the moment I'm about 68 kilos. Uh, oh that's a hammer blow for me because that's like exactly the same as me. <laughs> oh, well no
1: nah, I've like I have fluctuated quite a lot um uh like yeah no definitely I went through a phase of supplementing with a lot of protein and doing a lot of gym work and went up to like I think I was 72 kilos once but Ooh. in the last like few years I've much more level and I kind of have fluctuated between kind of 60 maybe 67 and a half and 70 have kind of been like my window and I gen- I like I wouldn't I haven't really diverged from that in the last few years
0: yeah and to give that a little bit of context how tall are you
1: uh 172. Is that right? Yeah, maybe 172. I think I'm just just shy of five nine.
0: Right. Yeah, I think or or that would be just shy of five eight, I think. Okay. I think I'm just shy of five nine, whatever that is in centimeters. That sounds about one, right. Se- yeah, like one seven-four, perhaps. Because yeah, because I'm I'm five nine and I felt we we're about the same height.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 174, 175, we'll get
0: Yeah. Okay, yeah. and um, just because, again, people want to know, do you have a positive or a negative ape index?
1: Massively positive. <laughs> I, ever, I do have really long arms. Well, I think I have quite long arms, but I have like quite a broad skeleton.
0: Yes, broad back, which gives your arms a boost.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely does help on the span. But, um, yeah, I have
0: like... Theoretically, that's like the best thing, isn't it, to have because you, you, in theory, you'd want a really broad back and relatively short arms to give yourself short levers, but also big reach. (laughs) Yeah, no, that is ideal. I mean, I
1: definitely do have quite long arms as well. Yeah. As in, like, I'm trying to remember quite how long it is, but I do have something ridiculous, like plus eighteen centimeters or something. Oh wow quite a lot
0: sheesh yeah that is a lot yeah yeah um okay uh have you kind of felt like there's do you have kind of a a fighting weight identified um yeah generally i generally okay so this is
1: a kind of a thing which is sensitive but like i find weight loss an incredibly helpful tool um well tool Maybe that's the wrong way of describing it. But I do find it incredibly useful, um, especially for the styles of climbs I do well on. Um, obviously, like a couple of kilos for massive muscle groups, like your chest or your glutes is pretty insignificant. But for small muscle groups, like the ones which control your fingers, a few kilos makes quite a big difference. Um, yes, And anyone, anyone would notice that, when doing like a one arm hang near that limit, the difference between like two and a half kilos is a difference between something being absolutely desperate and being quite relaxed. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously it doesn't translate exact so exactly, but it's always going to make quite a big difference. And I'm definitely aware, like generally of like s- specialists on small holds. I'm just trying to think on like a more global scale of people who are really good on small holds and, Uh, generally I do fit in like the category of like, well specialist on small holds, but I think I'm probably like a good five kilos heavier than anyone I can think of like on that scale. So I do generally think it's inevitable that losing some weight is going to be quite helpful for me, but never so drastically that I'm like. I can't train or like I can't actually develop like I've usually in more previous years maintained reservations and how extreme that is.
0: Okay. And would you like look to maybe lose a kilogram or two before, before a trip or is this kind of like.
1: Yeah. it will be usually a bit slower in the run up to a trip. I might be like, if I'm sitting at like 70 kilos, I might be like, right. Well, I will, I'm usually and. Generally in times like that, I am quite um, considered about it. I'll have a discussion with Tom and we'll kind of create a strategy um, in like the final, like six weeks before trip or so. And we'll be quite systematic about it. And I think that's a way it can work really well when you're very rational about what it is that you want to, like where it is that you want to be. And like, really, how you're going to get there. I think in the past, when I've had like, when I've like struggled a bit with like weight loss or found it quite like um, disturbing in a more like just general day to day life sense, is definitely when I've like kind of relied more on my intuition about like how heavy I should be and like maybe just like purely thinking like lighter is better kind of thing or, um, Or like kind of on a day-by-day basis being like, oh, well, I shouldn't be eating this because I want to get as as quick as I can kind of thing. I think that is very counterproductive though with like a kind of like a perhaps like a weight set or like kind of uh, a strategy which like if you can look out over a larger scale and be like, right, this looks reasonable. This isn't like, this isn't going to break me. I'm not eating like 800 calories a day and training four hours, like which would inevitably like if you were to look at over a long spell rationally, you might be like, wow, well, that's going to be very unhealthy for me. But like, if you can like create a plan, which kind of, you can look at and be like, well, this is like, this makes sense. It can be much safer in that way. I mean, it's obviously hard to do like, to be so constructive in your thinking about it, but um, I've definitely found it useful. Um, and this feels like a formula which I can do and it doesn't feel unhealthy and it also doesn't feel austere.
0: Okay. So I think this, you alluded to it already, but I think this is time for the uh, disclaimer because obviously we both know that climbing has an incredibly troubled relationship with weight and food um and so i think the kind of salient point i'm getting from a lot of that is that you do lose some weight before trips and climbs and things but you are seeking professional help to do that (laughs) yeah and to do that safely uh and so if you are looking to lose a bit of weight uh for climbing again please do chat to a nutritionist and do it healthily and sensibly
1: i also think there's value in chatting to someone professionally in that way in that often when you speak to someone in an outside perspective it's not just like all in your own head lots of the time weight loss won't be a solution like won't be the greatest solution like yeah kind of generally in a time of losing weight it's incredibly different to it's incredibly difficult to get stronger and like kind of it's much harder to anyway, like you it's at opportunity cost of like actually training. So lots of the time when you're thinking, oh, well, I'm going to lose a load of weight in this spell. You're losing out on getting on time where you could be getting stronger as well. So like, yeah, it's not always the answer. Uh And I've found at times it have been when I've like, been doing a lot of training and like, it's kind of like a time where like I'm trying to somewhat taper, reduce my intensity kind of, um, and like I've kind of gotten diminishing returns from the amount of volume that I'm putting in and it kind of does feel useful. And, but that's like quite a considered process as well. It's not just like, oh, well now I feel like I need to lose some weight because I feel a bit heavy. It's like actually quite well thought through. So yeah, I think professional um, professional advice is useful but just an outside perspective uh i think definitely yeah. that mind is not necessarily inherently rational when it comes to um kind of self-image and kind of uh yeah it's a shame that but a reality that body dysmorphia is a real common phenomenon in um, well just in anyone um
0: Yes, that, it's particularly definitely, in climbing,
1: yeah. Yeah, definitely in climbing. Um,
0: yeah. And I think also what you were saying there is, is so what I'm getting from that is that you're looking to lose some weight for the trip, but then when you get back, you're looking to put a bit of weight back on so you can train, get stronger, and then lose a bit of weight again before the next trip. Is that right? Uh, not necessarily. I won't necessarily be like,
1: oh, now I'll throw back along, throw on a load of weight. I like I generally I haven't in the last few years, I haven't like pushed weight loss to the point where like uh it's not like within it like a nat- a natural threshold. Like um
0: Okay. So you're not going that hard on it then?
1: No, I'm really I'm really not going so hard. Like as in I'll maybe go to like the lower end of what is feels sustainable, but I'm never like I'm never so much at the point these days where it's so extreme that it can only be temporary kind of thing. Um, and like perhaps it's definitely when I'm like increase my training volume, I will eat more, um, but it will not like, generally it won't be to the point where I get back from a trip and be like, Wow, I'm really light. Like, I'm really malnourished. I need to start eating to, like, kind of be healthy. Like, I never feel like I have improved, like, the previous few years gotten to the point where it's like, wow, that, like, this is unhealthy for sake of performance. Um, I've kind of feel like I've been quite considered in that balance and stayed on, like, a healthy side of it, which maybe isn't necessarily optimal for performance, but I kind of think generally well-being being a big part of that as well and how much you actually enjoy the process like it feels like for longevity of my climbing as a whole that's always going to be more beneficial.
0: Okay. Um and so previously I was saying about have you identified a kind of fighting weight? Do you think you know it do you have a kind of number in your head of like that's the best? Yeah,
1: I think probably around like I mean in the last few years definitely they've been climbing best around like 60 probably around 68 yeah uh, 67 68 kind of thing has okay. been um
0: cuz it, it's funny cuz for for a crimp specialist that is a few kilograms heavier um oh yeah for you know, sure so i think most of the crimp specialists frequently sit around that kind of 63 mark i see a lot of people at 63 um, yeah yeah but um I know there's also going to be a lot of people listening going, oh God, because they're like, you know, it, we're always talking as though you're a heavier climber, whereas obviously loads of climbers are in the 80s and 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 higher. Um, yes. Yeah. So yeah, we have just got to add like a little bit of context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it,
1: it is just a reality that, well, I mean, like, obviously, you kind of have to be realistic in many ways in terms of like, but actually I'm saying that there are like, there have been examples of people who have been amazing on small hulks and in that like much higher weight category. I mean, I don't know how heavy Fred Nicole was, but um, he was a big guy. And
0: yeah. Like his forearms look incre- like a pair of badges.
1: Yeah. I think he's quite <laughs> a tall guy as well. And like very big, and like, He's been one of like the most influential international developers probably ever. Um, And I think like being heavier has its, I'd say being heavier, being the way I am, but like comparably to other people who are really good on small holds these days, having like the extra few kilos on them, I think like there is obviously like limitations to that, but having like a bunch of like muscle to back up your fingers, like your fingers do play a role in that. That is your contact point with the rock, but like everything else is like pretty crucial in like connecting your body to your feet, like kind of, I generally think with a bit of more bulk, I can like kind of usually um uh kind of move a bit slower between the holds and like, I have like, a bit more reserve in the rest of my body to like move it in a more efficient way around a small hole than perhaps I would more, I'd be like five kilos lighter. I actually think that'd be incredibly dep- detrimental for me, but yeah, there's like perks to having the weight as well. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, did you ever have a time when you think you uh, just tried a bit too hard to lose a bit too much weight?
1: Yeah, I definitely did Um, back in 2018. um, I was like really um, focused on the competition season, um, the world cup tour. And there was definitely a phase in that where I think I obsessed about it quite a lot. Um, Well, yeah. And took it very seriously and uh yeah I like definitely think I took that too far in that like when I look back on it I'm just trying to remember what the underlying feeling was I know I was I was really hungry all the time um, mm-hmm. and uh I also remember distinctly feeling like I couldn't climb for that long um just because of like energy levels but it was actually before I'd ever like really struggled with injuries um, but I don't know if it was related in any way it was actually the following months after that season when I'd started um, I'd started like I'd definitely like much more relaxed like the season had finished I'd started university and um, it was actually after that when I started picking up my first injuries it was either I don't know if that was related anyway, or perhaps like weight on, or probably probably um alcohol's consumption didn't play a great role in that either. But, <laughs> um, uh yeah, I think uh I think I don't know if that was a coincidence, but um after that was definitely the t- start of the time when I like started struggling more with injury. But yeah, definitely during the season in 2018, I took it very seriously. And I remember it, I remember it playing on my mind quite a lot. Um, and I definitely remember at the time, not actually even feeling like I was white. Um, I know I was at the time and I know like, um, uh, but I just, I definitely took matters into my own hand on a daily basis in terms of like
0: uh,
1: what I should eat and when I should eat, like how much. And I just remember that feeling like retrospectively looking back on it, feeling somewhat counterproductive.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's always what I pick up from people when we're talking about weight. It's just when it, You know, climbing is a really complicated sport. And if it ever gets to the point that you find yourself obsessing about one thing, be it losing weight or, you know, stronger fingers or stronger arms, you're probably being a bit reductive. You're probably condensing climbing down too far. Um, And all these things have their part. But I think if you find yourself obsessing about weight loss, you've probably got an issue.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's kind of like a thing where like, I think you can almost treat it as an, obviously it's far more complex psychologically, but you can almost treat it like, you know how you get phenomenon in training where like, you might start doing something and notice big improvements from it initially, but you start doing the same thing for five years and inevitably there's going to be diminishing returns from that stimulus. Um, yeah. Like maybe that's a bad analogy, but like I kind of feel like there is a point where this like performance incentivized weight loss is helpful, but it's kind of like a marginal gain and like it's also a marginal gain, which is somewhat at detriment to all the other factors, which make a big role in climbing. Um you're getting stronger but um I almost think climbing's not at a point yet like site there was like a big push for that like concept of mar- marginal gains in cycling and those tiny little fractions of percentages which actually made the difference but I don't think climbing is there yet and I don't know if it ever will be just because of how like how complex it is of like a move well I say a movement like how complex a movement is, how skill-based it is. There is no repetition. Like, And I don't think marginal gains plays quite the same role when I feel like generally for anyone, there are amazing climbers in the world, like Yanya say, utterly dominant in competitions like last year or however. Um, But like she has like I have no doubt she has a long way to go at many in many aspects of her climbing. Like I think the tiny marginal gains are like kind of almost negligible compared to the, the massive improvements that we can make. And like, I think being really anal about like nutrition for like long spells of time is almost like that. Like uh, when you're right like, Outside of your natural threshold of your weight and really fighting to stay light, not only will it make very small differences to your climbing, but like it's at such a cost to all the other aspects where you could be making massive improvements. Um, And I mean, that is obviously describing it from an incredibly rational point of view, which I kind of totally understand is never so easy. And like, I kind of feel like I've always thought quite rationally but I definitely had struggles with it and like kind of had times where like um yeah I definitely like don't think I've always felt so rational about it but from a logical perspective that makes sense to me um and I do stand by that
0: yeah I I think that's great I think you know we can only talk about what works for us in a sense can't we and and try and extrapolate a little bit from that but um yeah i'm sure we'll talk about the weight thing from time to time on the podcast because because climbing has a serious uh issue with uh, the weight problem and i think it'll be ongoing for for a long time because it's a strength to weight ratio sport so i don't think we'll ever say goodbye to that completely but but let's move on from it for now uh, for a moment because you mentioned um cycling there and that made me think Um, about something that I wasn't actually planning to ask you, but do you think there is doping in climbing?
1: Um, I don't know. I'd like like to think not, but I don't know if that's incredibly naive of me. Like perhaps not that I have ever been
0: aware of anyway. Um, Because... It is a funny thing, isn't it? Because like in, in, the comp climbers get tested, and I have no idea how you know how good the testing is, but I think it's water approved or whatever. So, so you'd hope that that was that was pretty good. And anyone who took part in the Olympics would have got very good testing. Yeah, um, but if you are a rock climber, you're never getting get, No one tests you. You could take whatever you want. And lots of the time, these are totally legal
1: as well, aren't they? Um, now. Yeah, I don't know. I mean like it is quite an interesting idea. I kind of um I know okay, it becomes complex when like in many ways you can't really cheat because it's not really in any ways anything to cheat at. Like when you're climbing outside. I guess a time when it could be like a bit of an ethical dilemma is when you could be doping. And as a result, climbing things, which someone who isn't doping wouldn't be. And like, perhaps you develop sponsors when they don't or whatever. And like, it's a manner in which you've like kind of fast tracked that hard work. But I actually don't even know the, I don't really know the intricacies of doping to know how much difference it would make and kind of like, You hear rumors, don't you, of like, oh, maybe they take drugs, maybe, yeah, I don't know. I've heard like rumors, but I'm skeptical of rumors within the climate world. Um, And I, yeah, I honestly, I don't know much. I don't know enough about doping to know how much of a difference it would make. And I don't know of anyone, outdoor climbers, who have tried it.
0: I would actually love to speak to someone if anyone listens to this if anyone has at any point doped as an outdoor rock climber i would True. love i would love to hear about it because i think it'd be really fascinating um because i think most of us we're not sure if it would help or not because wouldn't you put on loads of weight wouldn't you put on loads of muscle and then be too heavy and i know that there's a rumor that that steroids would damage your like it reduces like tendon strength, which would be a nightmare.
1: Oh, I didn't actually know that.
0: um That's that's what I heard. But uh... you get
1: you get steroid cortisol. Wait, is it cortisol injections? The steroid injections which you get for oh, that's oh, information.
0: No, yeah, that that's something else. Yeah, that's something else altogether. That's that's
1: anti-inflammatory, um, isn't
0: it? <laughs> yeah. Although there is some anecdotal evidence that that might actually lead to. You know, they they could you could be more likely to get a rupture, but I don't know if that's because your pain's gone away and then you're overloading or, or whatever. But but that's that's something else. Um, but yeah, I, I guess while that's a really interesting discussion topic, the doping and climbing thing. Sadly, neither of us have any knowledge to discuss it. But yeah, well,
1: um, yeah, maybe if there's any open dopers out there, we can get them on the podcast. And...
0: Yeah, it'd be fascinating, wouldn't <laughs> yeah. it? It really would really, be really interesting. But okay. I feel like if it works, which is a big if, but if it does work, there will be some people doing it because we've known climbers to do all kinds of things, you know, flat out lying about their ascents, um, chipping holds on pre-existing problems. Uh, You know, climbers climbers have gone to the ends of the earth um, for rock climbing. So I feel like if it works, there will be some people doing it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I do know what you mean. And it is quite like an interesting dilemma, like as in like were there to be some magic doping pill offered to you, which inevitably was gonna slap a grade onto your physical ability, would you take it? It's not illegal.
0: Oh god, if it wasn't illegal, (laughs) yeah, probably definitely. Because because anabolic steroids
1: are not. Can I take two?
0: they're they're not illegal for like general public are they no they are um, they are they are illegal all all steroids are you sure anabolic steroids yeah yeah i'm pretty pretty certain yeah i think they're Uh, like a class b drug or something i think
1: oh no yeah no i clearly don't know anything about this
0: (laughs) 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 but i knew that there are things which are legal but banned in sports aren't there Yes. Yeah. Even things like you've got to be careful about how many protein bars you eat, apparently, because apparently they've got something in which if you eat a lot of could could make you fail a drugs test. Um, mm. But yeah, I guess that's the question again, though, because, OK, Aiden, I've got a pill for you, then you eat this pill. I'm not going to give it to anybody else. But if you eat this pill, you'll gain a grade immediately. Do you take it? <laughs> um
1: hmm interesting (laughs) I mean I want to be able to say no but it's quite hard like uh yeah I mean like you do it does it does feel like you are kind of like cheating a natural process however I don't believe that my um I don't believe that uh, I would be, I think it'd be very tempting. I kind of think I probably would end up taking it, but probably not loving myself for doing it, but (laughs) I I have no intentions. I don't believe that such a pill exists, so I'm not too concerned about it right
0: now. (laughs) It's just a fun sort of ethical (laughs) dilemma. I mean, at least you're kind of worried about it, whereas... If that exact situation was offered to me, I would take it. No questions asked. (laughs) i rifling through the guy's pockets for more of them. (laughs) Wow. Eight grades. Nice. (laughs) Wow, yeah. I've ruined climbing for myself by just being able to effortlessly do all of the (laughs) boulders.
1: Yeah. Well, um, hopefully we can have, I don't know, maybe um, we get a doping guest on and... uh...
0: (laughs) I would love that. I would love the that, doping guest that was be, either successful or, you know, heroically unsuccessful. You know, <laughs> if you thought it'd be a good idea, you injected some, some steroidicals, uh, and then you got immediately injured. That would be a great story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there'll be some serious, there'll
1: be su- some serious rumours if we, uh, uh, if we, um, interview such a guest and then both start climbing nine b's
0: <laughs> yeah, i have a podcast where we declare that it absolutely does not work <laughs> and then mysteriously there's, there's no cheating in the natural process
1: <laughs> training's gone really well the last week i <laughs>
0: improved by sixth grades. yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be great um, but I did previously mention there that, you know, talking about people who've gone to the ends of the earth uh, for climbing and potentially gone full-blown to lie about their ascents leads us perfectly on to one of the other Uh. questions, (laughs) which I'm sure you'll be prepared for as a lakes-based climber. Because what are your views on
1: Mm. Gaskins? Gaskins. Okay. Okay. And
0: As specifically, do people want, do
1: people assent... want shall i give some context to who this person is
0: yes yes definitely do give some context
1: um so i actually well i've never met john gaskins but he has played a large role in the development of many of the hardest climbs in kind of all over the uk mostly based in, around south lakes um the South Lake District, but he's done things in North Wales, kind of all around the UK, really. Um, kind of, uh, yeah, lots of stuff on in the Peak District as well. But um, he has like somewhat developed like a aura of mystique about him, in that his some of his feats are somewhat uh, unbelievable however from okay so i'm trying to explain this sensitively um or unbiasedly um he's like he was kind of like known by many as like an incredible climber and clearly was physically able to do a lot of these incredible things but he himself has never like kind of um I haven't I've never actually heard much from him. I've only heard things through rumors from other people or like just like folklore almost. Um but what this has ended up getting us to the situation in is when certain pieces of rock which I truly believe are unclimbable have been uh have been explained to have been climbed by him. Um and like I think it is okay. So in complete transparency, lots of things which are documented as his climbs or like certain climbs, which like have been benchmarks um, and perhaps have slightly swayed the grading system in uh, certain parts of the UK, um, I do believe that some of those haven't been done. However, I don't necessarily think that that means he is a liar. And that sounds very abrasive, but I'm very sensitive about rumours within the climbing world because I really understand the tendency for things to be exaggerated or like kind of things which have happened. It doesn't like take much to be misinterpreted. So like, um in many ways, like I would want to give someone the benefit of the doubt. And I do believe he was an incredible climber and did a lot of incredible things and like did develop a lot of amazing climbs. I almost believe that some of the feats, which he himself has not admitted to, have been like kind of like exaggerated by word of mouth. And like maybe someone's like, oh, I think I saw him do that. And then some people are like, oh, well, this person told me he definitely did that. And so then it gets to the point where they're like, right, well, we're going to write this in a logbook and it's called Shadowplay or whatever. Um, and I think that that process has perhaps in some point in that process that has perhaps betrayed his credibility, which would be a shame because... I do believe he did do some amazing things and did like definitely contribute things to climbing, but I don't know if I necessarily, I think it's a complex tale in that I don't think everything you read is correct, but I don't think that is a reflection of what he himself claimed. And I don't know if you, you very rarely hear actually things from him. and kind of rightfully, so, like not rightfully so, kind of understandably so, in that like I don't know if I if I would had such controversy about my name, I probably would like be a bit done with that community, um which is like sad that perhaps that has uh, dissuaded someone who obviously quite influential in the sport um from being like involvement with it in the future um and like i honestly well i've never met him i've never seen him climb like it's very hard for me to understand kind of what he was capable of and like what was possible and i do want to give an individual the benefit of the doubt i like i think there's very few inherently bad people out there and i have no doubt that well, that, that's wrong. I have no doubt that um uh he's like kind of been uh I kind of feel like there may have been like he may have been yeah, I don't really know how to describe it other than that. Like I think he's kind of almost like his reputation of fallen victim to potential uh distortion of fact via climbing gossip, which I think is quite a common phenomenon. Um yeah, so certainly possible. I'm like being sensitive around it because I don't want to be like, well, this person is clearly disingenuous. Um because I really don't know. But I from like a personal perspective have looked at some of these things and like I don't believe that they well, especially in the condition that they're in. I don't believe that they have been climbed.
0: Um, But that's not... I just absolutely love uh, the Gaskins mythos. Uh, And it is a mythos uh, at this stage because he has this ecclesiastical aura around him where he is almost like this deity figure that people either passionately believe in or or passionately disbelieve in. Um, And and he's kind of, and the way he he came and he did these miraculous ascents, he came and he performed these miracles and then he just disappeared and never to return. Uh, Or perhaps at some point, there'll be the second coming of Gaskins. (laughs) I just find so funny. It's quite Um, analogous to it. It's perfect. Maybe Uh, somebody
1: should write a book about it. (laughs)
0: yeah i could see him on the cover um and and i guess it's unprovable because you can never prove that something didn't happen that's so really historically anything remotely scientific if you if you know you've got any kind of head screwed onto your shoulders the burden of proof is to prove that it did happen not that it didn't so it's it's is always the the if he if he wanted to prove that he did it he would have to come up with some kind of footage and there are these these stories of like photographers that would go up to these problems with him that he had supposedly done. And then they really struggled to get pictures of him because he couldn't hold the positions and do the moves of boulders that he'd supposedly done. Yeah. Which um, again, yeah, I
1: I've heard many such rumors, but it's hard like. We're like hearing it like maybe like a sixth hand or something. yes, it's also true. very true. hard to understand.
0: yes, no, absolutely true. No, I wasn't I wasn't there, uh, and I didn't see that for myself, but that that's sort of what I've heard,
1: yeah, 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 which like I think is um I like I am sensitive to it because I understand many people who I are, well, good friends with him or have been inspired by him and like i think in that sense like he's paid a very he's made like some very valuable contributions to climbing um but i also feel like there is potentially detriment to the things uh that he has uh, which have been like documented as things that he have done it has like a very big difference on like kind of the system of grading and i know it's something that has um influenced dan farian's um ideas on grading which you might think is insignificant but actually uh, on the down low has been one of like the most influential developers in the north of england in previous years and especially in northumberland a lot in the lakes and to have like have like a um, have like a uh, kind of swayed grading metric actually of, of one person in this case has almost like uh, influenced the grading of like hundreds of boulders um, that he's since developed. Um, Which
0: is that's a real shame because even if even if we work under the assumption that that john actually did do these boulders that he's saying he did if the grade is just completely wrong you know then then they should be disregarded like yeah because you know you know say what's what's an example of one of the most unlikely gaskins sense
1: probably shadow play in
0: yes and that's is that the vague sequence of layaways
1: um, <laughs> yeah it's basically um i'm just trying to describe it it's a very like it's probably like 60 degree oh well there's a famous boulder which many people have tried called tourniquet which is actually a series of non-vague layerways very yes. good layerways um actually on any of a climb those holds would be jugs if it wasn't for the fact that there was no feet below you. So essentially you end up climbing the climb upside down because even though you're on really big feet, uh, big holds, there are no footholds beneath you, um, which you can stand on and shadow play climbs those non-existent footholds. Um, supposedly, which, uh, was graded 8c is without a doubt the hardest work to have been done is at least two grades harder than burden of dreams
0: yeah something <laughs> something in the far far distance and so i guess it, it's almost becomes immaterial if he did it or not at that point because i mean even if he did do it you just have to accept that he was the best climber that's ever lived um but his grade scale was skewed, so we have to discount it.
1: Yeah, as in like the thing that the thing that um makes me skeptical about him actually claiming such things is more that I know he did travel, he's been to he's been to places such as Frankenjo and like kind of well ast- relatively international established bouldering destinations which have like metric grades and would understand on an international level, like the difficulty of boulders and like I'm, I'm no way capable of climbing things such as shadow play, but even from my perspective being like far, like far below that level, I would know that that and an 8C in Europe are very different things um like i just know that that is so much harder and perhaps like of course there were like situations which we can't account for such as like breakage of holds but this isn't just a i mean he'd be very unfortunate if he was someone where all of his hard climbs all had holds which had broken off of them um but uh we kind of like you can't just count for that on all of these really hard ascent um, well
0: that's it's also a, a it's plausible that one of his uh pious disciples followed him round after he did these things and chipped off all the holes to make him look greater yeah well, i
1: mean that's a room i haven't heard
0: of but <laughs> well i've just i've just invented it right now but
1: oh you should write that down
0: i could i could, I could be honest something there
1: there'll be a news release about it next week probably
0: yeah I, so... <laughs> I've got to I've got to kind of end the, the at least part of the Gaskin segment with my Gaskin story um, that I know I've mentioned to you already, but I still find it really <laughs> funny, um, which is when I was at the schoolroom, which is absolutely hyper classic uh, old school training venue. It's owned by Ben Moon and it has the board in it that that Ben and uh, Jerry and, um, you know, all that that crowd um got super strong using Uh, and i was there and and it's a great place to go visit because it still has the some of the strongest climbers in the uk go there to train but there's also like quite a good um clientele from the old school climbers who still go there because they've gone there for 30 years um and will bosey was in there talking about brandenburg gate is that is right isn't it i've not got that wrong yeah that's the
1: one he just did uh, uh yeah, more yeah yeah
0: yeah 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 i'm pretty pretty sure it's that um and and that was one that was either i think originally bolted by or tried by gaskins
1: yeah it's kind of famously a gaskins project that he had done all the moves on
0: yes exactly and and i think will was talking about it because there was a peg that was in there and he was saying that if the moves had been done with this peg in then he would do it with the peg in but if that if that had been put in afterwards, he would take that out so he could use the hole that it was sort of pegged into. Um, I believe he ended up not taking the peg out and he just did it anyway. But there was an old climber, old guy in there, and he said, Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw, I saw Gaskins on that. Yeah, he did, he did that move. Yeah, I saw him on it at this uh, this date. Uh, and then later on, when he was quizzed a little bit about the sequence that Gaskins was using, he changed it to, Oh, well, I think he did it. Actually, actually, maybe it wasn't even him. <laughs> <laughs> was like, maybe it was someone else on a different climb. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so funny the way something that started with this guy saying absolutely determined, I saw John Gaskins on it. He did that move and ended up with him basically being unsure if he was even at the tour on, the, on that day. It was just somebody who probably didn't have any hair just,
1: on, just on just some
0: a, route vaguely left yeah, of the crag. Yeah, actually, it was just some bald guy on chimes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but And I just, I love, I love the Gaskin stuff because of these, like, these people that believe so desperately without proof. And I see that, so the way it mirrors religion, I just find so funny.
1: That's um, actually, that's actually a very good sp- story which is trying to like I think an overview of my point here which I went far along very long way is that like I think there's danger in rumour which is often said with so much conviction yes. like in that situation in that like there is a very and I almost think that this is probably what have happened but as again like it's hard for me to know uh, but I think the likelihood is that John did a lot of really hard climbs and was an amazing climber and did do a lot of impressive things. But I feel like kind of almost like he never really spoke much about them. And as a result, his like feats were spread fire word of mouth rumor and kind of almost developed like this awe of mystique. And I think A series of offhand kind of like ideas, like the ones you heard in the schoolroom, kind of like said with so much conviction, have kind of almost created an image of this mythical climber who was utterly the best climber that's ever lived. And he's done all these incredible feats, which these days are now being questioned. And like that, like kind of like image of a climber, I don't believe. I like. Lots of the feats that that like kind of mythical John Gaskins did, I don't believe have been done. But I don't. I think there's a disparity between that John Gaskins and the actual Gaskins that actually did do a lot of climbing and did do some great things, but wasn't a league above any climb that has ever lived. And I think that that is almost like the damage of this, like kind of just. Exaggeration within climbing rumors. Uh, And I think a collection of those offline comments have almost like damaged the credibility of this person. And so I don't, I'm not going to call out this person as a liar because I don't think it was actually them. And I'd like to give John the benefit of the doubt in that, like, he's done a lot of stuff, but I've never actually heard from John what he has done
0: the only thing is as i think he did the reason why this was quite well known at the time is because i think he this was the era of magazines and i think obviously a lot of these things were publicized as he had done them in magazines so he did, i think he was saying that he had done them
1: yeah that is true i um yeah so no, i think I...
0: I think if you if you if you kind of if you think there's there is at least A climb that he said he did that he didn't do, then at very least we have to we have to think that it's likely that he probably embellished his achievements. Yeah, there's also been a lot
1: of like it's been very vague in like the descriptions of the thing. I know there's been a lot of confusion in like where lines go or what things do, and I think I'm correct in saying that it was never very clear right upon what he'd actually done um like for example with the sit to come of trees it was described as using a mono to the right because there was a puddle over like the start holds or something um which is the straight up is one that i did a couple of years ago um and probably still actually has the hardest individual move i've done um but that's AA. a um uh (laughs) uh, and so like there's been like a lot of like vague write-ups um which makes a massive difference like um and like i think a lot of yeah i don't know i've heard a lot of things from other people and it makes me skeptical but
0: it's sad, isn't it? Because there's now, there's more time that's gone by. We're not, we aren't part of the generation that grew up with Gaskins. So the myths have become legends Yeah, uh, and, and we're losing, there's even less solid evidence being, you know, it's all coming down to opinion and conjecture.
1: Oh, entirely. And like, I mean, I'd love to have a discussion room. I like, but I kind of feel it's increasingly unlikely. And I also, likely, but just I, also I also, I also sympathise for him, for like, in many ways, in that like, were he to have done a lot of amazing climbs and perhaps confusion over where climbs went, which has resulted in like so much scepticism in what he did, for someone who has done a lot of an amazing climbing and put a lot into the sport, to then look at the community and how much scepticism there is about your name. Like I kind of like totally understand why you'd want to step back from that. And like, uh, regardless of what he says, unless he, which would be amazing releases some like video montage of every hard climb he's ever done. I
0: think that's incredibly (laughs) unlikely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then I kind of like, there's always going to be skeptics and I kind of don't blame them at all for opting out of such a community, um, but would be sad if that was the case.
0: Yeah. So I think we can leave that there with, with you as an agnostic. Yeah. Go on then. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> agnostic awaiting. I think, I think I, it's probably best not to have a firm opinion um, because we don't have any evidence, isn't it, really? Yeah, I think that is,
1: yeah, a um, very good sentiment, if a little unlikely for many.
0: Okay, well, moving moving on very slightly from that. Okay, so that was yesteryear when it was all magazines and I did this and I'll tell you it was a vague sequence of layaways. <laughs> now, it's. do you think there's now much more of a burden? You're as a professional climber. Do you think that you really do need to prove that you do what you say you do via uncut footage?
1: Um, Do I feel a need to prove it? I don't necessarily feel a need to prove it. For example, like, oh, it depends what it is. So like, if it's repeating a climb, like if it's doing some, I'm like naturally not very good at switching a camera on, um, which has been very helpful in recent years when often lots of the climbing I've done, I've done with filmmakers. Um, I spend a lot of time climbing outside with Sam Lawson who documents everything. Um, and so generally kind of the matter has come out of my own hands, which has been quite nice. But uh, usually when I'm climbing by myself, I, often don't really think about it and will often forget to just like set up a camera or something and go about my climbing, just focusing on the climbing. And I think that's fine for most of the time. And like, say if there's some feet like repeating some hard boulder at Switzerland, which has been done, like nobody's really going to question your credibility on that. And especially like for lots of the time when I'm on trips. I'm climbing with other people but I think definitely example in examples where like you develop a climb or you do something that is clearly very ambitious and it's not necessarily I'd like to think that people would give me the benefit of the doubt and like there's no like people's default wouldn't be well that's a lie but as much as it is for proving your point also like these like videos like I don't know, I was always inspired by those kind of videos. Like, people love to see them. Like, it's as much like contributing to that community as it would be kind of protecting them back, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So I guess some of the, you know, the, the, the more minor uh, achievements wouldn't need documenting. But if you were to go and have a go at Burden of Dreams again, presumably you would want that filmed in case you did it? yeah yeah i probably would
1: um as in like it's real really it's really not that much effort to despite forgetting at times i probably won't forget when i'm on pound of dreams to switch press record on a camera or
0: whatever um yeah it's just for the the best isn't
1: it yeah it's for the best like you yeah i don't know i feel long to have you, a lot of people questioning your credibility yeah <laughs> you just, too short so <laughs>
0: you just never know when it might come up because there have been you know examples of really really good accomplished climbers who've done something and then been heavily questioned for it without footage yeah 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 um, yeah uh, and obviously all their friends say well of course they've done it but it's not enough for the general public sometimes
1: yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah as in like i think it's It's important. It's a shame, but it probably is worth doing.
0: I think if you're a professional climber, you do need to at least provide evidence for a a section, a cross section of hard ascents. You don't. You should never feel like you need to record everything. I think that's that would be horrific. But yeah, if you're going to be a professional climber, you do need to prove it to a degree. Oh yeah, 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 Um, yeah, yeah. No, because otherwise you could have anyone just. Yeah, because otherwise there's no difference between uh you and someone just sitting at home with a ballpoint pen and a guidebook <laughs> <laughs> no you need to be able to pull on in the position for a picture yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there, there is some some basics isn't there um because yeah there have been some famous instances where people have you know really questioned the sense even when you everyone else would think oh well, that seems pretty pretty legit yeah yeah, uh, yeah and so i think it's yeah it's sensible uh, to keep up with uh, pressing record from time to time. Yeah, no, definitely. Um,
1: yeah, no, I will um, look very suspicious were
0: I to claim Burn of the Dreams without
1: clicking.
0: <laughs> clicking yeah, I think these days. <laughs> all of us, not. all of us who, who actually know you <laughs> would know that we would believe you hundred percent. You know, there'd be no there'd be no doubt if you said you if you said you did it. I'd believe you hundred percent. But. For the general park climbing public, on that one, yeah, you you might want a little bit. <laughs> there is kind of like,
1: you know, this um, the always <laughs> the always a mystique that we've spoken about with Gaskins or whatever. It's quite entertaining.
0: Um, yeah, absolutely.
1: Maybe you know, maybe that is like a little route you can go. Maybe in the future, you know, um, when I start climbing really well, I'll just start. And, hoarding all of my footage and everything
0: <laughs> well Just... <laughs> it's, it's like uh sean again isn't it <laughs> you know because that's kind of what he's doing he's got lots of unreleased footage of hard stuff ah yes yes
1: he has but i'm not going to <laughs> yeah, disclose gonna... <laughs> any more information <laughs> yes, upon we're not we're not going to open that
0: kind of worms any further than we really have yeah um okay I've got, I had another question there that's gone out of my head. So I'm going to revert back to a couple of the little, got a few quick fire questions, um, quick fire questions. from the general community. Thank you, everybody. Um, we got one. Can you hang one arm on a 10 mil edge?
1: Uh, I don't actually have a 10 mil edge. Um, um, I could, uh, could I, I don't know if I, I actually don't do very many one arm hangs at the moment. Can you um, hang
0: one arm on the outside edges of the Beastmaker two thousand? That's twelve, I think. Uh,
1: I uh, actually, when I'm going well, I can. Um, I find it a lot easier locked off than straight armed. But I've always found straight armed quite weird. Like, okay. Um, I think maybe I could, but only for like a few seconds, and like yeah. I have to be going well. It also this comes into a lot of which I was going to ask you about sometime but we'll do that in the next episode. Um, But that half crimp strength, which you always hang, one-arm hangs generally. I've never seen someone do a one-arm hang not in a half crimp with my kind of almost distinguishing feature of a half crimp is whether you have a flexed pinky finger um, and nearly everyone has a straight pinky and including myself when I do one of my hands. And yet I basically never climb with a straight pinky. It's very rare. Or like when I'm generally climbing at a limit, I'll usually be more engaged, active on the holds. And as a result, I actually think when I spend a lot of time climbing outside or on my board, I actually don't replicate that half grip position much at all. Um, so I almost feel like, training in half crimp such things as one arm hangs actually doesn't translate that world to climbing for me personally just in the way in which i climb but yeah anyway that's a long-winded answer for a quick fire question
0: well but there is actually another question that leads on to another chap has asked um more he wants a bit more specifics on your high angle fingerboard work so um is that so you're training on fingerboard in kind of high high angle fingers
1: yeah um I actually do most of my kind of fingerboarding outside of climbing so I actually don't these days I don't do the loads of that outside of climbing because usually when I'm climbing I generally hammer that position so much um with like everything so like what I mean by this is when you like imagine you were crimping and you're Pinky finger, your index finger is like, and all your middle two fingers as well. They're all like flexed at ninety degrees, or even more acutely than that. And basically, the distinguishing factor being that your pinky is actually in exactly the same position, like acutely flexed, whereas when you half crimp, which generally will be on like a flat or more open hold, lots of the time people will hold it with a straight pinky. Um, and sometimes even more open, a chisel, which I think you yourself are very good at, Sam, with a straight index as well. Um, I actually have slightly weird physiologically. I have slightly strange hands in that, like, my pinky finger, and my index are pretty much the same length. Um, so it makes it quite awkward for me to have a straight pinky because my fingers end up being really quite open. Um, and yeah. so on anything remotely inked, it's not very good to just like it's only really useful to hang underneath it whereas so generally my pinky will flex quite quickly um however i work out so hard when i have a board session or generally when i'm climbing outside that i don't want to do too much of that on fingerboarding um uh, and generally will often train on a fingerboard in half grimp and will most use fingerboarding as like um it's not really physio it's kind of like i do a lot of density sessions and like low intensity i always warm up on a fingerboard um
0: and just for a um, little bit of context people at home what's a density session
1: uh like long duration hangs so it might be like a 45 30 to 45 second hangs um and we'll generally be like doing enough sets to accumulate three minutes of hang time so it's quite like it's like much longer hangs and uh usually quite good for like tendon adaptation so i kind of use it more as like a little preventative to finger tweaks and i've always felt quite useful when i have had finger tweaks because you are almost doing it at a lower intensity than you would say like a maximal session um but you like uh, do for a long duration so you try really hard but the actual like intensity on your the likes of your pulleys is slightly lower um but yeah I do quite a lot of those
0: um, and, and what um what size um rungs or holes do you normally use for your fingerboard um so actually on my
1: generally if I am uh I'll probably use like yeah, outside edges of the beast maker, I like, um, generally to go as small as I can without getting painful. So I wouldn't hang off six mils. I do have eight mils. That's kind of as small as I ever go on hold. Um, but generally when I use the eight mils, I will be in that like, uh, full flexion position, um, and any smaller would be like pretty painful and kind of, I don't want to fingerboard and lose skin. Um, I kind of fingerboard when I have less skin, but um, generally my probably edge of choice is those outside edges on the beast 2000 or the 1000 as well. I do quite like, um, yeah, basically anything that's small enough so that it doesn't like snag your pinky skin and like, Um a weird way which kind of like pulls at it yes but you actually put a lot of weight through it which i also doesn't feel applies that well to climbing
0: yes yeah, so I, I can't use the Beastmaker 2000 middle edge for that reason because it just absolutely like catches my, the skin on my pinky fingers which is if you do a lot of it obviously terrible for your skin but also how many times
1: do you hold a hold like that i don't really know um, yeah. So oftentimes when I have used that edge is I actually just put my pinky slightly far further out. So I just had like the full pad on it and then it works quite well. However, that's not very good for party tricks because you can obviously hang loads of less weight like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the amount of people I see that can hang like 25, 30 kilos off like, that edge with a pinky just slammed into the corner of the hold yeah you like
0: can...
1: <laughs> it's obviously an amazing feat and like i definitely couldn't do that but um it feels incredibly specific to climbing in that like you basically need like a flat slot which you can f- throw your fingers to the side on yeah um, i so did my, that like, one myself yeah you're really good at that kind did, of those edges yeah
0: I did something close to thirty kilograms years ago on that edge, but but it was just as you say. I was literally just—I didn't really realize at the time, but I was completely chiseling my little finger into that like bit at the edge to the point that it was just like passively, almost like finger locked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's completely cheating, but at the time I thought it was a real, real big deal. I mean, it's very
1: impressive, uh, and
0: like—is <laughs> it? I'm not sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well it's impressive for me in that i know like i'm i just wouldn't be able to do that but i don't know how much that would have helped you on the rocks no it didn't at all um, spoiler yeah i don't know if those if <laughs> if those cracks on new baseline were a bit bigger you could like probably wet your in quite well and, and then you could probably do a few one arms on it but <laughs>
0: Like that's gonna be one of the running jokes of the podcast is we're gonna have to reference me failing to do baseline every single episode. Oh no, (laughs) right. (laughs) Um, but uh yeah, so
1: in short, I would choose a smaller edge where you don't snag a pinky skin, and generally, often you might need like weight assistance, or like it looks a lot less impressive, but kind of uh that doesn't really matter. Like you kind of are doing it because you want
0: to climb well, um, exactly. Not yeah. a party trick. Dif- yeah, and differentiating those two is a really good idea. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, We're slightly running out of time, but I've still got a couple more quick fire questions for you. um Did uh, someone out in Finland wants to know if you tried the Sisu project?
1: I did not. However, I would love to. Um, I kind of. Uh, I got the, it's quite hard to find stuff in Finland and I got the pin for it right at the very end of my trip and then never found time to head over there. Um, But for those of you who don't know, just type in the Sisu project. uh,
0: S-I-S-U.
1: S-I-S-U project. Nale Hukataival wrote a blog post on it uh, describing this project. And there's a few pictures. And it is utterly beautiful. Um, it's probably one of the most amazing bits of rock I've ever seen. Um, well, I haven't seen it, but um, <laughs> via, via photo, one of the most amazing bits of rock. So is definitely one thing that I'd like to try. I have very few expectations of this one. I think Nale described it as about 16 moves and... He's done about four of them or something. Um, so it's
0: a futuristic one, really.
1: A futuristic one. And currently, what is probably the hardest boulder in the world currently done, um, Burn of Dreams, is also a local climb to Nelly. So I think had he felt like this one was plausible, he'd have probably invested quite a lot of time into it as well. So I think it is quite conceptual from okay. what I've heard.
0: But if you do that run, set up a camera. (laughs) Yeah, that'll
1: be a camera. There's actually also, for those more committed to it, uh, I knew I'd seen it somewhere on Nikki Cherrier's Instagram page, um, because he was in Finland a similar time to when I was on there. He actually have put up a picture of it which shows it in a bit more detail. Um, so you can have a dig around and look for the CC project.
0: Hmm. Okay. Um what else do we have from the listeners? Okay, we have one from Orin, uh, which is, regardless of grade, what climb was the hardest for you, I think, at the time that you've ever done and pushed you the most? So you might have been there was only like a 7B when you'd recently started climbing, you know, what? at the time. What time? What, like, climb
1: did I try hardest on? yeah. Or, like, was hardest for me to do yeah um I actually think so there were there's a climb I did earlier on this year I'm trying to think if I was it's quite hard to retrospectively know how hard you tried I often there is a feeling of like you obviously try hard but like when you do a climb like near your limit everything goes quite well um there was a climb i did on the Bowderstone stone just earlier on this year uh in february or so where the style of the climb was not one of those magical moments where everything feels effortless um <laughs> and you basically get a tiny ink cut crimp put a foot in your face and I kind of, I had a bit of an oversight in the method in which I did it actually. Um, Will just did it uh, a few weeks ago um, and climbed it way better. Um, I basically have a tendency when I get a shoulder and a high foot, I'll like kind of really draw my chest into the wall and like kind of... um, kind of suck my chest inwards and that's somewhere where I'm quite strong Whereas, like with an extended arm and like kind of your arm going cross body. Uh, I'm generally quite weak. Um, so I basically didn't try that method, but the way that I tried it, I basically tucked up into like a tiny box, reach back into like quite a flat undercut. And then I obviously had to like come out of that box and like releasing out of that was physically really hard for me and I think just the style of that boulder everything's just like pushing away each other from I think I described it as a wrestling match um it was like a proper battle so I did try really hard on that and that was like a time where I was like well oh, yeah on that boulder like I tried really hard but um Will actually climbs it really well he stays outside of that box the whole time and made it look quite easy um so I probably have something to learn that got a bit narrow-minded in that sense. But that was one of the hard boulders I've done where I was like looking back on it, I was like, oh well, yeah, like it wasn't pretty. And it didn't feel easy when I did it, but, uh, so that would probably be one which comes to mind lots of the time. Like I obviously struggle on like, I've definitely always struggled more on like kind of boulders, which more heavily rely on like, the likes of compression or um, slapping to hold a bit off balance. But in actually doing those climbs, often they don't feel that bad, Um, which is why, like, usually for a climb for the grade, I'd find it much harder to do. But in times when I do it, it doesn't feel too bad. Uh, It's usually just probably a lot – they're usually probably just a lot easier than – uh, from like a great perspective than climbs, which are just like tensioning on edges.
0: Right. Okay. Um, and one, uh, well, it's not, it's not, I guess, particularly specific uh, for your skill set. But do you are you looking forward to the new format for the Olympics in Paris more than Tokyo? So I think the difference being that they've separated speed out from lead and bouldering.
1: Uh, yeah definitely and probably partly because it'd be really nice to see less competitors injured and i think probably the amount of volume of like differing training probably took a toll on many of them there were a lot of injured people which was obviously quite sad to see um so hopefully it'll be a little bit less intense now that they're separated um so yeah no i think definitely positive
0: Okay. I agree with you on that one. And, and last one um, was that you've had the replica burden of dreams holds for a little while. Have you started having a few sessions on them? So I actually set them up.
1: Well, I actually just finished setting them up two days ago, um, which has been quite a process. Uh, I actually, this is another one of the, I know you're skeptical about the joys of social media, Sam. <laughs> and to be honest, I probably am too. Yeah, but this is-
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why are you chucking me out to dry? You're the same. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, we actually do see to it on this one. But this is one of the many joys of social media. Um, yeah. I wrote a blog post about my trip there. And a lovely person from Germany, whose job is to process 3D scans, 3D images, um, got in touch and was like, oh, I can have a look at the scans that you did. Um, anyway we got talking and he very kindly um went through the process of 3d printing all of these holds there's six of them and they're massive and i don't know if for anyone who knows how long 3d printing takes that was an incredibly yeah. time-consuming thing to do so that was a, a little mm-hmm. reminder of like generosity of the international community anyway and anyway so he sent them at the tent those over those 3d prints and then core uh climbing from sheffield i know one of the people who set up um a really nice guy called leo um again went above and beyond um and uh molded out molded those holds and um Uh, and then poured them so now i've got a full set of replica holds and i rebuilt my board had to cut a little bit of a hole in the ceiling to fit on the last hole (laughs) but i've (laughs) just just about squeezed it in my training room um and it is quite hard to do in the middle of summer i've realized right conditions does make quite a big difference i've set up a fan which kind of worked quite well but um yeah, it is hard when it's warm. And I actually, generally on the climb, the middle three moves uh, felt quite reliable for me. Or like, not quite reliable, but like, I could do them okay. And then anyway, I set it all up and then I like, had my first session on it. And like I couldn't touch any of the moves. <laughs> um, and I think the texture of them is quite bad. It also feels like, so it's quite hard to measure the angle because though it looks like a completely flat face of rock, it's slightly... Um, it's slightly changing. And so it's quite hard to know exactly the angle. I set my board at 45. I think it's about right. But it feels steeper than the actual thing. Um, and especially in the heat, the texture does feel worse. So I do think it is probably harder. Um, but uh, it's probably the right way to be. And anyway, I like was pulling on, I, they felt utterly desperate. I couldn't even move on the moves that I could do before. And then I like kind of just was like, Oh, I'm just going to check again for this. I went to try it again. And like, again, I just couldn't move. I measured everything up and I just misjudged one of the measurements. I've put one of the plates, two centimeters to the left and I shifted it two centimeters to the right. And like did those middle moves straight away, Um, (laughs) which I kind of thought was pretty amazing. And like, kind of like, really shows the fine margins of like how rare it is to have a climb so hard uh, and the tiny differences between a climb which is like so hard and yet doable and being like not utterly impossible someone would do it but like so much harder um, is like the difference of like two centimeters and like it's quite um, amazing to you kind of really notice um how sensitive those things are
0: so yeah, yeah.
1: i'm kind of started
0: starting uh, the process
1: yeah i'll start to do, have some um have some chucks at it and uh no it's super cool to have um it is really hard to try in summer but i'll do my best
0: <laughs> awesome all right, well, that's. Uh, I think we'll yeah, I'll ask you about that from time to time. See how that's going. Yeah, uh, good but, uh, That's that's all we've got for today. So cheers for that, bud.
1: Ah, no, no worries. It's been very nice chat.